Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He lays Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're in a nice little bit of a break. Resistance is finished up. Clone Wars is still a week or two out. Uh, so we thought we'd go back to something we really haven't... I feel like we haven't done since the end of Rebels. Uh, let's talk about The Mandalorian Season 1. Just kind of recap the season. Talk through how we feel about it now that we're a couple weeks out from it. And yeah. Well, you want to kind of give us the the high level rundown, if you will. Yeah. So you know, obviously, we hope uh, you've been uh, you've been listening to our reviews along the way. But we want to kind of, as Stephen said, take a look back at season one, uh, the highs, the lows, are some of our favorite episodes, favorite characters, um, maybe a, what we'd like to see in season two, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess so, you know, I'll, I'll start looking back at season one. I think was a it was a fantastic start to the uh to, to to the series and it was amazing just how well the show captured not just star wars fans but but fans of of all sorts with this it's great style and um uh and you know, it's kind of like a, it very much plays into the western uh, uh feel that uh, especially a new hope had uh, and some great characters as well, uh, like Baby Yoda, uh, the Mandalorian itself. I know it's not Baby Yoda, the child, but you know, the child. Obsessed I, 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 with want, it. I, I really wanted to correct you on that one. Yeah, um, but like, let, let's, uh, you know, let, let's 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 start talking about these well, one by one. So, um, well, I got I got it. Can I start it this way? Yeah, sure. Please think of the, think of the gamble that the Walt Disney Company did by doing a show like this. Mm about a character nobody ever met about just a um let's say society or a culture or whatever that was only only created by one character you saw boba fett that the, and then if you if you followed rebels if you followed clone wars you got to see a little bit more of it but look at the chance they did with this show and look at how well received it was it, it, it's it's been it's been received. I mean, mm-hmm. this was incredible. A show like this to come out of nowhere and just be the hit of Disney Plus. I mean, that you got to give kudos to, you know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni about this. I mean, this was incredible. Yeah, it it really was the right show at the right time. Yeah, like at a time when I think Star Wars fandom as a whole really just needed needed something that was unequivocally a win that drew a lot of attention at the same time. Like Rebels was really good, but. A lot of people were turned off by Rebels at the beginning. We were talking about it just before the show. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's always a little bit of give and take and people not sure and getting into it and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Last Jedi was very divisive. Solo was uh, very divisive and didn't get a lot of, uh, like, didn't do as well at, uh, what do you call it, at the theaters as people I think were hoping. Mm-hmm. And so it was just nice to have, a, like, especially when that first episode came out, everyone's like, yeah, this is good. This is exactly what I wanted out of the uh, Star Wars show called The Mandalorian. Yeah. You actually bring up a good point, Stephen, because something I hadn't really thought of with um with like we looking back on it now, like The Clone Wars, Rebels, these are beloved shows. But season 1 got a lot of flack, right? Uh, yes. Early on, uh, I kind of had to grow into its style, right? And then grow into the show as they were learning. Yep. 
you know, people complained about Ahsoka at first and the nicknames. And obviously now Ahsoka is one of the greatest Star Wars characters. Um, and, you know, the return of the Clone Wars in two weeks is, is you know, highly anticipated by, by fans. Um, and then you look at Rebels, where uh, I think, you know, that show also took a few little while to get its its footing. And by the end, it was an incredible, incredible show. And we were all like, like the, the emotion it, it brought us um, mm-hmm. as well. You know, people early on said, oh, Ezra is kind of like uh, Aladdin, right? And I know the, the comparisons right. aren't necessarily completely fair. Um, but again, there was some criticism early on. Um, Resistance also had some criticism early on. As we talked about in our series finale review, I think they did uh, a lot of things really well. I, I don't necessarily think they completely managed to get over that criticism, especially because they only had two seasons rather than four or six slash seven with the Clone Wars and, and, and mm. Rebels and the Clone Wars, respectively. Um, but The Mandalorian, it's the first Star Wars television show we've had where right out of the gate, it's been praised by everyone. Um, and they really yeah. managed to nail it, which is also important given right. it's a much more... It's a much shorter season, um, but yeah, it, it it's it's quite an achievement. I think that's kind of a testament to uh, to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, who are the masterminds behind it. And as we know, the two of them met on the Clone Wars. I was actually just going back and rewatching the Mandalore trilogy um, uh, yesterday. And it's really cool to go back and, and see the early episodes where John Favreau's playing Pre Visla, and mm. uh, and that's that's where he and Dave Filoni met while John Favreau was working on the first Iron Man and Dave Filoni's working on the Clone Wars and they built this friendship and and now we've gotten this fantastic television show. Uh, and they it. were so quick to get the chemistry between the two of them to get this right. It's just it's incredible to see what they've achieved. It's going to be fun to see what they're going to do for the second season going forward, mm-hmm. but just what they did right now is just incredible. Yeah. Really is. Yeah, and it's also one of the things I think I find most fascinating and it's it's starting to come out now after the show has uh, has debut has you know finished uh, season 1. So I I've heard that John Favreau's styles, he doesn't like to have a lot of behind the scenes content as a show is going or as a movie is, you know, shortly after a movie's released. Um and and now we're getting the, a lot of these photos and and stories of like how they they shot the the show and all of the advanced technology uh that they're using and it is so cool to see like the the um the 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 new technology where they you know today right um typically the there's there if you want to shoot something that's you know not not in uh you can't like maybe maybe you can't go on location or it's too um uh too expensive or, or too out of this world, right? Then you need to use green screen. But they're using this technology called stagecraft on the Mandalorian. It's the first time it's been used, where they can basically project the uh, ahead of time. They go and they film or they digitally create these backdrops, and then they're able to put, project them on these 360 degree screens that go all the way around the set. And all they have to do is build a little, you know, the ground, right? Or raise up a platform or something, or even use a little bit of green screen on the floor. But all of a sudden you're looking and if you took a photo, right? Right away uh, on set, it looks like the actors are in the Star Wars galaxy because they've, instead of having to do green screen behind them, they've already projected exactly what the camera would see um, 
behind the actors and it makes you feel so much more immersed and i'm sure it also makes it a lot cheaper for them to do the special effects and bring these kind of things to uh, a tv tv budget even an expensive budget which i think is one of the 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 most remarkable things about the mandalorian is just how they manage to uh, the way they managed to bring the Star Wars style and visual effects down to a TV budget. Yeah, it's it really is impressive when you think about how varied the show was as well. Like we were talking about the first season of Rebels, um, and that, as you see with like an animated show where you know the uh, the assets are you know one of the most important things to really giving it a sense of detail. The first season of Rebels is. Conf- really confined to just Lothal because there isn't, they haven't built up that asset library. And I think one of the things I was most impressed with for season one of Mandalorian is how varied, like even though we repeated planets a number of times, we never felt like we stayed in one place for a super long time. Like the show had a, it moved. We got space battles. We got land battles. Like it just, we went everywhere. And that mm-hmm. was, I'm just so impressed that they were able to fit that in in the first season. Right. I feel like that's so hard and rare to do. And what also kind of made it nice is there weren't, there were a lot of characters, but when you look at it overall, there weren't a ton of characters Mm -hmm. that you could really lose track of who this person is, who this person is, who this person is. I mean, you only, you you saw Cara Dune a couple times. You saw, um, I forgot his name, but the one that said, this is the way a couple times. Quill. Um, Quills. I'm oh, sorry. No, no. This, sorry, this is the way. Is the, yeah. uh, would be the Mandalorians themselves. Um, I'm sorry. Vizla, um, but, I have spoken. Uh, I have spoken. I have spoken. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I I have paid attention, but <laughs> I, I no. I I I appreciated how they were able to pull it off because I mean the last time we saw like a small group for a for a long time through the show is basically Star Wars Rebels. And those characters kind of carried all the way through. But then there were also other characters that were pulled in as you went along. This one, basically, it did really circle around the Mandalorian. But there weren't a lot of, let's say, 20 characters you saw within the whole series. I think there was probably less than 10 total within this. Major characters, Which made it yeah. nice to follow because you wouldn't get lost of who this person is, where this person come from, and all that. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the main cast was fantastic all the actors that they picked and we can go through the like some of the characters as well in, in more detail but the all of the the actors and actresses on this show i thought really brought a lot to the role um mm-hmm. the uh, pedro pascal as the mandalorian was i think the perfect mix of you know serious bounty hunter and really kind-hearted father in, mm-hmm. in many ways um and it just it it brought a um a softness to the show that i don't think people were expecting early on well especially for the mandalorian i mean we all knew to a certain extent star wars fans know that the mandalorians other than being pacifists if you're looking at the death watch aspect of it you know they're mercenaries they're bounty hunters you never you never would have thought that here's the mandalorian flying the razor crest with the child sitting next to him you know, basically doing that little thing with the button where he turns it on and then Mandalorian turns it off and then the child goes back and turns it back on again. Like, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And then does it again. I mean, yeah. that that kind of stuff you never expected coming out of the series. No, I mean, it, it, we, what we um, going into the show, we knew it was about a bounty hunter, right? I, if you like, if you look at the description of the show, 
right? After the fall of the Galactic Empire, lawlessness has spread throughout the galaxy. A lone gunfighter makes his way through the outer reaches, earning his keep as a bounty hunter. That sounds like a guy who's just going to go, you know, shoot up uh, bad guys and, uh, and, you know, collect bounties every episode. Right. We really didn't know what it was going to be like. And it turns out that at the end of the first episode, we get this gigantic twist in a way where all of a sudden we find out that there's this 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 baby a 50 year old but still a baby that is you know of the same species as yoda hence the name baby yoda and all of a sudden it becomes a show about the mandalorian uh realizing that you know at first he, he tries to complete the bounty and then he realizes that that's not the right thing and he has to go rescue the child and then he starts to care for the child he's on the run and then he goes he goes after the people who were trying to hurt the child. And it's this really great arc that I don't think mm-hmm. any of us were expecting going in. I I just really appreciate that. We didn't know anything about the show going into it in the first place. Right. Like, we'd seen a couple of stills, so we knew that, you know, we had the Mandalorian. But beyond that, like, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of detail. And I give... I think that's credit both to um, John Favreau and, you know, everyone involved that, like, yeah, this is... They decided this was a story worth keeping quiet, basically. Right. Because I normally like when movies are released, they release like a synopsis of what it what's going to happen. And that's the thing that they really kept in the dark for everybody about literally what is going to happen in this show. And when the child first appeared, I think that was like one of the biggest 180s or one of the big huh moments because you never expected that to be in the show. We never expected that dynamic with a child, let alone that species. You right. Know? And, and so it was like a double whammy that just really made your head spin. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's I thought they did just such a a, a fantastic job. And mm. you know the 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 characters, the way they introduce it. I mean, even you know, you talked about how it's a small cast. I think. You're, you're right. It's, it's relatively small, but it feels right. even smaller in some ways and much more intimate because they don't introduce you to the whole cast in episode one. In fact, it takes, you know, a, a few episodes for them to all be introduced. And even then, they're not. It's still not in every single episode. Right. Mm-hmm. We 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 meet IG-11 yep. at the at the beginning of episode, at, you know, in episode one in the, in the Mando and the child and Grief Cargo, like the, the some of the main ones and, and, and Quill. Um, actually, no, sorry. We meet, uh, yeah, no, we meet, we meet clone episode one. Uh, but you know, Kara, she's not introduced until much later chapter four. Um, and you know, there are others who are introduced, uh, along the way. IG 11, we thought is dead, comes back, you know, in the, the penultimate episode. Um, at Quill, you know, he meet, he helps out the Mando for the first three episodes and then, kind of disappears for a while and comes back for the last two. Kara uh, Dune, she shows up in chapter four, like we said, but then she's gone until the last two chapters. So yeah. it's, it's a really nice um, way they, they manage to bring characters in and out and really make it about the Mandalorian and the child while still having this, you know, these, these other fantastic characters along yeah. with him on yeah. his journey. And I have to say, those first three episodes really of The Mandalorian, both the discovery of the child, getting back to, uh, I cannot remember the native planet for the life of me, um, <laughs> starts with an N. Um, uh, Navarro. 
Thank you. Yeah. Getting back to Navarro and then leaving Navarro again. I like some of the like the best Star Wars television or mm-hmm. like I, I guess it's not a movie, but like it was just fantastic pacing, writing, dialogue like it was just all firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at all the episodes, you really can't say there was an episode that was like one that would drag. I mean, as I've mentioned Every episode was able to take its time to tell the story it wanted to tell. The one episode in which he had to basically defend the town from the raiders, you could say that was a little, you know, that 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 was a little slow, but it didn't bother me because it it moved well enough that it took its time to tell its story. It didn't seem like there was too much extraneous stuff happening in there to make it seem like it was slow. There was just enough going on to keep you um focused especially the part about when it was mentioned have you ever taken your helmet off mm-hmm. you know no it's the last time i had it taken off when i was about one of these kids age and he never t- taken the helmet off in front of somebody you know uh, anybody else but all that kind of stuff with that episode it never dragged it just felt like it was a very slow even pace yes it picked up at the end but that was the best thing about the series mm-hmm. every show had its moment to tell the story it wanted to tell within its time frame and that's what I enjoyed. Yeah. yeah, if you look at like the 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 flow of the season uh, so far, um, we had the first three episodes, which were the the setting up of the uh, the whole the whole premise of the series, where we get introduced to the Mandalorian at the very end, the child, and then we learn a little bit more about the child in chapter two, and then in chapter three, he turns in the child for the bounty, and then realizes, oh shoot, that's that's really not the right thing to do. And he goes back and rescues the child and, and breaks him out. And so that's kind of a, 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 a three part uh, story in and of itself. And then we get another three episodes where um, uh, three, yeah, three, 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 three episodes where the Mandalorian is now kind of on the run. And I think this is cool because it gives us an opportunity to, to see different types of stories. Uh, Sanctuary. We find him, you know, trying to find sanctuary, right? Uh, chapter four, um, while he's on the run. Um, and I, again, we, I think we said it was kind of the, it, probably the weakest in, in our reviews. Yeah. Like it was the lowest rated, but For, it was still quite good. I, I really enjoyed it. Stephen, sorry. Yeah, still- it was really, no, I was just going to, I was going to uh, reaffirm. Yeah. I think four is the weakest and it's more that I find it the most uneven of all of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. you know, the plot with the uh, the the Raiders and the ATST uh, kind of fight sequence was actually really really good. It and was. I felt the it was the first episode that really tried to get start getting deeper into the characters, mm-hmm. and I felt like that was where it kind of foundered a little bit. But even but, from but there, think, going no, sorry, go ahead, finish no, finish. Oh, I was going to move into the next episode, so continue. Well, no, I, but it, but again, I okay, it was a little slow, but I think. For that episode, since it got deeper into the character, it, it sure it might have been the lowest rated. But put it this way, it could have been worse. It could have dragged on further than it should have. And, and, and I feel I feel the episode did well by telling the story it needed to tell with the timing it had. Yeah, and, and to be clear, like you know, as we look at it, um, you know, if you were going to go over uh, our highest rated episodes, it's actually um, I'll just read them off. Um, chapter uh, three, the sin. Followed by um, chapter two, the child. This is again what mm-hmm. our our aggregate reading across the episodes, and then the reckoning and redemption, the final two episodes of the season, um, 
and then um, uh, after that we had the series premiere, the um, the gunslinger, the one on Tatooine, uh, the prisoner, and then Sanctuary. And again, these are all fantastic. Like we're still we still rated them fairly highly. No. Right? these are all like it's it's like trying to pick your favorite child almost. <laughs> you know, it's like it, they're all still high on the list. Right. Um, so don't take that, you know, our listeners shouldn't take it just like, oh, it's the, it's bad. No, 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 not at all. I think the biggest problem with the, if you kind of look at the middle arc, and we'll talk about those episodes more in just a minute, but, um, if you look at the middle arc, the, the second act of the season, um, it was the one where they're kind of on the run there to get to try some new things. But I think the, the biggest, uh, weakness I, I think was probably that we didn't have a good sense of, um, what the Mandalorian's goal was. Is it just purely I'm on the run or I want to, you know, just survive. And that's it. Um, Cause like sanctuary, I think gave you some of that. And then the gunslinger and the prisoner, uh, I guess in the gunslinger, he gets shot down. So he doesn't really have a choice, but then in the prisoner, it's like, Oh, now he's taking other jobs. You're like, wait, what is he? Is he still on the run or is he just going to live like this now? It's not really clear. Um, but, but aside from that, which is a very minor critique, um, you know, I think the, the middle three chapters were a really nice opportunity to get some great character moments, explore some different char- aspects of the galaxy. Uh, yep. And then, of course, we go back into the last two chapters where they kind of pick up the plot threads from the, the first three uh, uh, chapters of the season and they kind of, you know, run it to completion. And it's just, again, incredible. Um, it's It really did feel like when they kind of were mapping out the season, the show to start. Mm-hmm. They had a kind of an idea for the first couple of episodes, an idea for a conclusion, kind of all set on Navarro, kind of telling the story of uh, what happens when the Mandalorian kind of goes rogue. And then they were looking to fill kind of those middle episodes with, like you said, some of the kind of character moments of different ways to explore um, what the Mandalorian is as a kind of a hero. Uh, and I over, like while I think those kind of middle was it middle two or three episodes mm-hmm. are probably the weakest of the season. It, it just does such a good job overall. Like we get a good feel for the character for the Mandalorian. We get a good feel for his allies like Quill or uh, Cara Dune. And it just having all those kind of characters pop back in for the finale just mm. worked super well. But didn't, didn't you find it surprising that he ended up getting a, um, uh, unexpected ally when, uh, IG 88 or the, that, that was unexpected. I mean, originally when he first saw that droid, the droid was out there to try and get the child. Okay. And then it gets blown up, but then it was Quill who was able to take that droid and turn it into a nurse droid. Mm-hmm. So that was an unexpected ally toward the end. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, so let's, let's talk about that. We kind of talked about the, the, the general flow of the season, but let's talk about the Mandalorian himself. <clears throat> uh, we talked a little bit about how he is very uh, stoic, we never see his face. We don't know uh, until the very end. We don't really know his name till the end. What did you think of his character as a whole? He's kind of a man of few words, um, and he has this great backstory about how his how he was rescued by the Mandalorians' Death Watch, in fact, and um, uh, and and how his parents died, and, and also his fear of droids, and and how he has to overcome that. What, what did you guys? I- so I'll, I enjoyed the Mandalorian's backstory, and I think we said this in our final episode. I think the fact that we saw it repeated 
uh, like five times was probably mm. the weakest, one of the weaker things in this, mm-hmm. uh, the way they handled the show. Yep. But I, I like that this is, it's something we, we never really have gotten in Star Wars just because Star Wars, you know, by definition has evolved its lore over time. So, you know, when we see episodes four, five, and six, of course, meant, uh, yeah, four, five, and I was gonna, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> we see that. I was like, four, five, and six. No, I mean, three, four, five. No, that doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> we, we understand. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But we we like at the time they made four or five and six. These are people who grew up with the Clone Wars and would be shaped by the Clone Wars. But we like when Lucas made four or five and six, he didn't really know what the Clone Wars was. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we've really gotten to see uh, a original trilogy. I mean, I realize it's at post six, but like, but not long. It's not this, long post six. It's yeah. close enough. Yeah. Like this is this is what would it have been like, like. If you grew up during the Clone Wars, you will have traumatic memories of droids landing and slaughtering. You'll have memories of this massive war. So it's I really like that kind of touch of detail and really making it feel lived. Mm -hmm. And now he has a deal with that fear and learn to overcome it. Uh, It's such a great dynamic in in the season. Mm -hmm. And, And the other thing, because of that and because the Mandalorians actually saved him... Now he's doing the same thing when it comes to the child. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's sitting there protecting, protecting him, just like the Mandalorians protected him. So, yeah, and he's kind of passing it along. Yep. And and we find out at the end of the season, he's charged now with effectively adopting the child until he can find the child's parents in season two. Uh, just like he was brought in to the Mandalorians, and it, it is such an. Ex- exciting dynamic where now he's in he has to go off in search of the child's family with i don't know if that's the jedi or his literal parents or just a species in general it's unclear but it's a it's a fantastic premise for season two God, and so and not and not to jump forward but that's going to be an interesting premise to where okay let's say season two he has to find is it going to be the parents child's it's a child is it going to be uh, the, the child's parent, sorry. Is it going to be, you know, the Jedi that he has to return the child to? It's going to be interesting because we know the kind of dynamic the Mandalorians have with the Jedi. So what's going to happen if he has to go to the Jedi to basically give the child over to protection? And where are the Jedi in this respect at this point of time? Or... And again, I'm going to get back to I really don't want to know species of Yoda or his home planet. But if that's what you're going to have to get, so be it. What's going to be the dynamic when he finds the species, the planet, and returns the child back to where it belongs? Yeah, the first season does a very good job of setting up, I think, or I hope it does a good job of setting up the second season. Of course, we don't right. know what, the, what it will include. Um, but the honestly, the question that sticks out of my mind more than anything else is at the end of the gunslinger kind of the, I think it's the fifth episode on Tatooine. There's kind of a mysterious foot that we see enter in just before the close of the episode. And we never get an answer on who that is. No. And my son swears he knows who it is. And he still Uh, to this day knows who it is. Theories abound. Is it Boba Fett? Is it, you know, he says it's Boba Fett's daughter. I don't know, but you're right. We don't, we don't know. We know nothing uh and i think that's what's so exciting really is that we don't there's a lot of really cool options and that really did feel like a tease i don't know if it's for season for season two or for some other um you know 
show or book or something that they have planned. I don't know. But Ooh, that would be interesting. It's it's cool. I'm excited. It's it sounds so cool. Well, There's, hopefully they'll pay it off because, as I've said, if you call attention to something, more than likely you're gonna have to pay it off at some point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of which, we talked about the child a little bit. What did you think of the child himself? Uh, I think it, the child captured the world, and and you know the memes are still going strong even <laughs> even a good month after the series has. Mm-hmm. Uh, has has a wrap. The season has wrapped. Your thoughts on the child, Tom? It is amazing what they have done with with. Okay, it's. A, I'm trying to put this in words because I find this fascinating that the child has become such a let's say pop culture icon at this point in time that a character that really has never said a word is only by way of expressions able to, you know, act. Um, it tries to eat a frog, uh, has that little impish look on his face when he's pressing buttons. Um, it, I can go on and on, but it's amazing that this child has basically become the breakout star of the whole series. Yeah. It's I, I have to wonder how much they knew ahead of time that this was going to happen and how much it was like, oh, the child's really popular. I guess we should do more with him. I I honestly, I if I was putting the whole thing together, I wouldn't I I I wouldn't put any money on that that it would have been that successful. That this character would have been so big, have the memes, have the push for merchandise, have all the stuff that's that's behind the character. I think it's basically just it's a shoot when you I corrected myself when when the character was created. I would think they would thought the Mandalorian would be the bigger character. That's my gut feeling as well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. especially the like the way they I'm sorry, I don't want to segue onto the Mandalorian again, but like No, it's fine. I do feel like the the child was kind of a surprise. Yeah. Um and we but they they, I don't even. Maybe I think they would figure out the right amount of child to yeah. throw into the show, yeah. which I think is probably the bigger thing. And, and and if you look at it from the from the perspective of the merchandise, okay, we got a black series Mandalorian, we got a black series Cara Dune. There was nothing planned for the child. Well, so I that, when it came that's, to, that's due to the well, secrecy, which well, I know that that that's yeah, yeah. But no, I, I I totally get it. That's totally true. But but still, you know, I, I understand the secrecy part of it, but. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a part of whatever company or whatever it is that creates this stuff, but you would think in their back pocket if they thought it was going to be familiar or would, would be something that could just be the breakout star, they'd have something in their back pocket to go like, this is a hit, get in in production right no, now. No, I, so I, I disagree with you there, Tom. Uh, you, you may be right. That's I, fine. I, I, don't, I don't think that's, personally, I don't think that's the case. And that's, uh, I, I, I think that the that the child was a much bigger hit than they were anticipating. I think they thought oh, it would that, be... That part I agree with. I think they thought it would it would be uh, shocking, right? Because they, they clearly, they, they end the first episode on it. It's a big cliffhanger. They thought it was going to be like, oh my gosh, another Yoda-like th- thing. And I think when they saw it in person on the set, they were, they were certainly, they had to have been, um, they had to have had a feeling like, wow, this could be something special. That being said... 
I think the level to which it has taken off has exceeded all expectations, and it's really actually oh, driven the show. I mean, there's a. I think I saw a rumor that like the, uh, Disney Plus is now rumored to be like thirty to forty million have thirty to forty million subscribers, like three months after they launched. That's incredible numbers. Yeah, and a lot of that, I would say, a large percentage of that is driven by the Mandalorian and the Child. Uh, and I, so I think that, that that exploded way bigger than they, they thought. I think they did think it was going to be something, but it was going to be way bigger than they, they expected. And, and they intentionally, this is one of the things I loved about the way they handle this, and Lucasfilm's talked about this. They intentionally did not um, show release any merchandise for the child because they knew like the way the merchandising pipeline works, you have to give it out to so many people. This, mm-hmm. A small secret goes from you know, maybe 100, 200 people that worked on the show to, uh, you know, many hundreds or thousands of people by the time it, it, it hits store shelves. Uh, if you're talking about retail, like millions of people eventually, right? All the retail employees and that kind of stuff. And it's impossible to keep a secret. You cannot keep a secret. And that's how everything is always leaked for every movie. It's always through the toys. Um, well, and but also, so I respect them. About- I respect them for actually saying, I'm sorry, then you go ahead. I respect no, them no, for ahead. saying, um, no, we want to maintain the shock value. I don't think it was going to be, they, I don't think they realized quite as how big of a hit it was going to be, but they wanted the sh- to maintain the shock value at the end of epi- of chapter one. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they intentionally did not do any merchandising. And I really respect that. I, I wish they would almost do that more often. No, and, and I totally agree. But when it when it comes to secrecy, I mean, I, I always go back to the episode Sanctuary where you had those kids running around. I mean, sure, when you... I imagine when you're in production, you have to sign NDAs. But with the amount of people that were on set that had to interact with the child, mm-hmm. especially kids, to keep it quiet for that long yeah. and not have it leak out I'm is impressed. amazing. Yeah, I am impressed. They, do, they managed it's, to not. It's a testament to so many things. It's the testament to the crew for not leaking things. Uh and honestly, I give so much credit to John Favreau for having a vision for this show and delivering it and sticking to it. Like, you know, there was pressure to be like, hey, let's merchandise every single thing we can in the show. Like, that's that's just how you do TV. But they they did it like he pushed for what he thought was the right thing to do. And I think it paid off eminently. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think it was. 100% a success and I think the child himself is so perfect because it, he just one it's 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 cute without being overly cute right, right. I, I mean I would say it is extremely high on the cute spectrum don't get me wrong but um but it, it doesn't look like the child was created just for the cute factor it looks like a baby Yoda right a child mm-hmm. uh, that would that fits that and one of the things I really liked is that we don't ever get his name uh, and actually, I like this about the Mandalorian as well. They're very restrained. Eventually, we did get it, and I, I almost kind of wish we didn't get the Mandalorian's I, real name. If there was one thing I could change, I would well, take out his name. Uh, name is probably okay, but I wouldn't have had him reveal his face at the end. Yeah, and I get it. Everyone wants it, but okay. But but there was a point. So, sorry to interrupt you, William. But there was a point to it at the end that had to be done because he he has never revealed his face. To another human being after a certain point. And it was the droid, IG-11, got it right this time, that basically said, the only way for me to save you is I have to remove your helmet. And basically, he, he the 
IG-11 basically said in so many words, I'm not a human. It had to be done. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I think people would have complained for sure. Uh, a lot of some viewers would have complained if it didn't happen. But right. But yeah, I, I think I like the mystery. And I think that's one of the things I, I appreciate about the child is we're still calling him the child. We don't have a name. We don't right. have a species. We don't have a home planet. Maybe they'll start to introduce those in season two. But I, I kind of hope they don't. And I, and I like how the child is learning to use the force it's you know, it's force sensitive it has force powers but they're rare it tires them out um mm-hmm. it's just a it's a great dynamic and that's another thing when it comes to the child they never overplayed the force aspect mm-hmm. of the character it was only certain points and that's the one thing i appreciated about this that they use the character you would almost want to say in subtle ways it wasn't the main part of the show the mandalorian was still the main character of the show but it was always in the background, there's the child. And subtly it would be like, you know, when he was trying to get away from the droid for the heist episode, he would scoot back and forth through the razor crest. When he uh, saved the uh, Mandalorian from the horn beast, you know, when he, when he's outside, I think it was sanctuary when he's outside the thing, sipping the, the, the bone broth. I mean, that was hilarious. But also a lot of the times when he showed up, it wasn't, really in my opinion in your face it was still more of a, a subtleness to it instead of just there's a child it wasn't an overplayed aspect of it it was just there it worked and they moved on yeah yeah um so i i, I question for you let's start with steven we'll start with you and then we'll go out tom oh boy putting me on the spot um uh better you than me right now do you um do you have a Aside from the Mandalorian and the child, do you have a favorite supporting character? Favorite supporting character, like someone not, you know, not the not the Mandalorian or the child, but any of the other. I will say, and this is gonna be very specific. Okay. Oh, oh, I was. mm, Mm. I was okay. So I've got two answers. If that's okay, okay. that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm almost at the same same point. So go ahead. So, episode one, uh, IG Eleven. Okay. I thought was hilarious um i enjoyed him when he came back but i i enjoyed pure uh murder bot ig11 if you will <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and the like oh i don't even remember the line anymore but the the consistent like oh i'm gonna self-destruct now i thought was really really funny mm-hmm. um and so that was my <clears throat> that was my initial impression but i also i honestly have to give it to uh big mando um, I don't, mm. uh, I don't remember his first name, but he was a Vizsla, as I recall. Paz Vizsla. Um, oh, sorry. Pa- I think it was Paz Vizsla, right? Sounds right. Was it the, the basically heavy armored guy? Heavy armor Mando. Okay, heavy armor Mando. Mini yeah. gun. Yeah. The yeah. Paz like, just yep, 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 awesome. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so he is. Mu- he's. It's a stretch to call him a supporting character. Honestly, he's in what the one episode, and That's I don't fair. think we see him again after that. So far, but. He is so memorable, mm-hmm. like fantastic armor, fant- like just everything I could have possibly wanted out of uh, a side Mandalorian character. Also, he's a Vizsla. Let's like that. that also a Vizsla, cool. which is just yeah. cool from a lore perspective. Right. Yeah. Um, also, sorry, I'm changing my answer. I now have three favorite. That's fair. Side okay, characters. we'll do top three. We'll do top three characters. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now you're there's putting not, me on the spot because I definitely have not that two. many characters, but well, that's true. Uh, a lot of them are very, very good. Um. I have to add in the armor as well. Mm. Uh, okay, just thanks for throwing that one in there. 
Yeah, like I know I realize I just picked like a bunch of characters, but also just did a fantastic job, represented the show well. Super cool to see. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Especially <laughs> the fight scene. The fight scene with her was just Yeah. No blasters, just basically hand tools. And those stormtroopers paid. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tom. Okay. Um, easy enough for me. The first one's gonna be Quill. I love that character. I thought it was, it was the fatherly thing about it that I liked, but what I really, really, really appreciated toward the end when he sat there and put his foot down saying, nobody owns me. I used to be part of the empire because I guess at that point he was probably a slave, but now he was able to get himself out of it. So it's like, no, you know, I, nobody owns me. I own myself at this point. And he always had the best of intentions. Whenever the Mandalorian went to him the Mandalorian would sit there and say no, but he would always come back and say something completely opposite. Okay. Mm-hmm. And basically turn the Mandalorian, you know, to, to his side and make him realize, look at regardless, like, like when they went off to go to protect the child, it's like, no, I, IG 11's coming with me. He is not the way he used to be. I reprogrammed him. He is coming with us. He is now a nurse droid. And we did find out he did end up protecting the child for the last two episodes, which was great. So Quill is my favorite character out of the the series, uh, and then the second one, I'm gonna say Cara Dune. Okay, has to be because, you know, Rebel Shock Trooper, and man, she could kick some literal butt. <laughs> I really appreciated the the two characters. Yeah, she. Yeah, they're they're both fantastic. Do, yeah. you, have a, do you have a third? <sighs> you know what? In this case, well. I could go third and fourth and do it with the two biker scouts, but that's not going to be, you know what? No, oh, no, 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 you should. I, I forgot about the biker scouts. That's a good choice. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. I am going to do tied for third, the two biker scouts at the, the beginning of the last episode that, that right now, I know they're a minor. I know one of them basically was told this is a 40 million, $4 million prop. Don't hit it. But that was just, that totally cracked me up. I mean, those those two characters are great, but those those are tied for three, not as high as Cara Dune and Quill. But there you go. Awesome. Awesome. What about you, William? Uh, Well, I'm actually my favorite is is by far uh, the same as Tom's. Oh, really? Yeah. And that is Quill. Like Quill is I love him so much. It's. It's hard, like, I, I think not just, like, the I have spoken lines, too, which are fantastic, but he's just such a great, like, he's a good guy, you know? He's a he's a little quirky. He's He, he tries to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, he kind of teaches the Mandalorian how to be, you know, how to be a, a, a father to, to the child in, in many ways. And he helps the Mandalorian, and he doesn't even do it for money. He does it for free just yep. because he... He cares, and he's 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 a nice character, um, and yeah, I think he was just a really cool, really cool character overall. So, uh, Quill, uh, Quill has got to be my favorite. Um, second favorite, uh, probably. Ooh, this is this is tough. Um, I also really like the client. I thought Werner Herzog brought a lot to yeah. the role, and he just. He just chewed up the scene, um, but not in a way that felt um, 
it didn't feel out of place, you know, or pull you out of the uh, out of the show. He just was so deliciously evil. And the that fact is a that, good description. Yeah, and the fact that they, he got killed off uh, in the, uh, the 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 second to last episode, I think, was a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not expecting that, and I, I will miss his presence on the show. Um, but he's such a great character, I I, I can't really complain. Um, right. We never got a name for him. He's just going to be called the client. And again, that's one of those things. Like we talked about, how we didn't get names for you know, or we didn't get much detail in the Mandalorian or the child. That also held true for the planets and for you know some of the side characters. Like we didn't always know the names of planets or characters uh, until we needed to know them. And I, I really liked how they did that. It, it made the whole galaxy feel a bit more mysterious. It's a little hard mm-hmm. to talk about, but it's uh, it makes it feel a lot more. Uh, you know, it's not like you know we are going to go to this planet now, right? It's just hey, we're gonna go here. We're gonna do it. If they need to talk about the name of the planet, it, they say it. But it's not in your face. Um, same thing with the the client, right? We never find out his name, but I, I kind of like that they did that. It, it brings it back to the kind of the original trilogy where, you know, you walk into the cantina and you don't know who all these characters are, and eventually it's filled out in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't necessarily, right off the bat, have everything. And it's it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so Quill, Nick, played by Nick Nolte, and the client, played by Werner Herzog. They're my my two favorites, um, and then for in third place, uh, I probably I don't know why it's like I'm, I'm kind of going with this. Well, I guess I picked a good a good guy, a bad guy, and now kind of go in the gray area and say uh, Carl Weathers, Grief Karga. Um, yeah, that was a good one. I thought he also did a really good job, and and how he is, you know in theory on the Mandalorian side, but he's very quick to double cross the Mandalorian when the, or when the Mandalorian double crosses him, you know, or like right. he, he, he doesn't care as soon as the Mandalorian you know, doesn't complete his job. He has no qualms going after him and, and no qualms turning sides again and realizing that, wow, this, this child is, is actually helping me and maybe we shouldn't go, you know, turn him over and he turns right back again and, and helps out the Mandalorian. And in the end, he becomes a good guy, even though mm-hmm. he was a, the Mandalorian's adversary for a while. And I'm glad that while he got shot uh, in uh, Chapter 3, it, it was not fatal. Um, right. He had that, that Beskar um, to, to save him. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that was a bit of a debate. Do you think, and now that the series is over, do you think, because it was a Mandalorian that shot him, the Mandalorian knew the Beskar was there, or do you think it was a lucky shot? Oh, absolutely a lucky shot. Or a, I, lucky, I, a lucky block. Interesting. I, I think he knew it was there. I, I like to think he knew it was there. I seriously think the Mandalorian knew it was there. That that that's I think I said it at the time when we when we reviewed the episode, and I'm standing by that now. I really think the Mandalorian knew it was there. Yeah, it wasn't a lucky shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, 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 you know, we may never know, but it's, I, I do, uh, and that's the fun thing was, about it. We may help. never know, but it's a fun thing to sit there and try and figure out was yeah. it or wasn't it? Hey, that's yeah. why we do this. Again, it's one of the great things about this show is there's so many things to speculate on about and, and, and discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we talked about our, our, our favorite characters, um, and we pretty much covered, um, all of the main cast of the show. Um, and I, you know, I think, I except think, one. We missed one. Who? Um, 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 
Moth. The Moth Gideon, yes. Well, Moth Gideon. Yeah. I, I kind of like, uh, I loved Giancarlo Esposito in that role. I think we don't, haven't seen him enough to really, I know he was technically in two episodes, but. Right. But, I, but I also, but I think season two, he's, I loved, I did love him though. And I think in season two, he's going to be really great. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That, that's my bet as well. Yeah. Tom's. Yeah. Well, and also, and also on top of that, I mean, the biggest reveal out of the whole thing was the dark saber. Yeah. That was one I think that really caught, I know I caught my son completely like off guard. But that was really cool to see the Darksaber transition from animated series, actually book animated series, now in live action. Yeah, That's pretty freaking cool. It really yeah. is. It's it's so cool. Um, so we talked about how our, our favorite characters, and I think to, to a T, everyone in the, um, the main cast was fantastic. Um, I, I, you know, I can't really... You know, I think everyone did an, an excellent, excellent job. I think if the the Mandalorian, one of the one of its weakest um, aspects, I think was unfortunately the um, some of the more the tertiary characters in the show. Um, neat concepts, but they felt a little bit one dimensional. Um, I can point to one right now. Yeah, it was the it, uh, and sorry to interrupt you, but I want to get this one bit before it's forgotten. The character in the first episode that had the clone patch on his sleeve, the doctor that actually said Dr. that Pershing. he was trying to protect the child. Yeah. That uh, was oh, I totally forgot saw, about him. I know. And that, that's why I brought it up now. Because basically, he was just in that one episode. He was the one that the Mandalorian you were thinking was going to actually kill him, but didn't. Mm-hmm. And after that point, you never saw him again. Well, he, he did come back in Chapter 3, and the Mandalorian spared him. Uh, but and the and he we did? find out that yeah and the Mandalorian he, remember when he oh went man back I to just, I'm sorry I forgot about that no I no that's fine that's fine like it, it was fairly short but um we never actually find out how he was supposedly saving the child and I I hope right. we find more about what they were trying to use the child for in season two because it's still kept very mysterious in this season I did like him actually to to be fair I, I liked him quite a bit I feel like. Some of the other supporting cast um, was a bit more one-dimensional, though. I think the most notable ones were um, were unfortunately in the the middle three chapters, right? The um, yeah, uh, I, I liked Omera in theory, um, but I felt like we didn't really get that much time with her. Um, uh, Fennec Shand was uh, played by Ming Na Wen was was play, played up to be a much more prominent role and again she was a very uh brief appearance um and uh, uh toro calican the, the bounty hunter and pelimoto were just uh, they're they were fine it's, it's hard to yeah. have a really deep backstory and character when you only get to see him for what were generally very short episodes yeah but i feel like even the acting itself was not up to the same quality level especially for a lot of the the cast in um in the prisoner right mm. where they they did yeah. the, very the true breakout. very true yes um uh i i i think that it it wasn't bad but it wasn't up to the same level as the other ones so we had you know mayfeld and ran and Xion and berg and q9 really cool mm. characters in theory i just felt like they were a little bit and Quinn, um, but I feel like there was just not there's something missing from and, and I think Steven, you pointed out in that episode the the girl Twilik was almost like a Harley Quinn character. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's like, yeah, and and now that I go back and think about it, I mean I I've, I've watched the episode a couple times. 
I think the best thing about that episode for me, if I can, when you get past that, is how the episode went from basically a breakout to almost like a horror slash film at the end, especially when all the lights went out. And I think I remember at that time when we did the the review, I love the part when he was coming down the hallway and it was almost like Batman to where the lights flick around, you see him there, light flicks off, light flicks back on again, he's gone. And and I think that for me, even though you could say it was one of the one of the two or the, the weaker episodes, it was just that little bit that made it work for me that kind of overshadowed, I think, some of the characters in that episode as well. Conceptually, it was fantastic, and 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 from a directorial standpoint, I thought it was was excellent as well. Yeah, totally. The whole concept was so cool, and the way they meshed like a a a heist or prison break with a um like a horror almost, and and really well done. Yeah, and poor Matt Lanter. I mean, come on. Oh yeah, just 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 he was just sitting there doing his job. That's all he was doing. Yeah, (laughs) that was. I had to throw that in there. That was cool to see some of the, the 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 special appearances like for example we um uh we, we got lots of little for star wars fans there were so many little references and 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 um and uh, easter eggs right we had the uh the the ice cream maker of the running of the will row hoods right the we finally found oh, that the ice fun. cream maker is used for that might be safe. my favorite of all the easter eggs we got actually you know what yeah totally okay actually Absolutely. yeah do you have a that so that's your favorite steven I mean, I'm not going to remember all the Easter eggs off the top, but yeah, I think so. That was just it. One of those things that it it fit in so well and was so perfectly Star Wars in so many ways, Mm -hmm. like needlessly explaining something that really didn't need to be explained. And yet didn't feel over the top or in your face and didn't feel over the top. And that's probably the key. Yeah. So like, I don't know if like the cantina on Tatooine counts as an Easter egg, but like that to me was a little almost too obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly with stuff like having uh, the other bounty hunter like literally sit like Han did in the mm-hmm. uh, the spot. Like, yeah, we get it. Mm-hmm. You made your point. We get it. Uh, but like the having the Camtono be like, hey, do you remember that background shot that only Star Wars fans have obsessed about because it was kind of funny? Yeah, here's a little explanation for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly what I want out of an Easter egg. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that was that was a great Easter egg with the bar, but realized they changed it up because originally when we saw that no droids were allowed and what did we see inside the cantina at Tatooine Being still too much really because like, that's exactly like they're drawing attention to another line while drawing attention to the fact uh, that we're in the same location okay all right for me that was like okay I, I get I see what you've done I will give you some points for uh kind of for orchestrating trying? this but I, I get it yeah okay. I think that was you know chapter five um where they they went back to Tatooine, right in um, in the Gunslinger. That one was a, a, a really interesting episode because it was heavy on nostalgia, right? The the rest of them, they they bring nostalgia in, but it, it wasn't quite as in your face. Um, and yet, you know, despite uh, some of the the weaker supporting cast uh, and the guest stars, I actually really liked the a lot of the references in it. I don't know. I was like, on one hand, I was like, yeah, it's kind of heavy. And on the other hand, a little bit in your face. On the other hand, I, I kind of liked how they, we got to go back to Tatooine and, and see it. Um, yeah, it, it was, it's, I kind of have two minds with that episode. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if you guys feel any differently, but. No, I, I, 
I think I, I enjoyed what is that episode five more than I enjoyed I think episode four. Um, but yeah, I I thought it was a little heavy. There was it was like they hit too many nostalgia buttons in a row. Is I think how I my especially looking back on it. Mm-hmm. One of the things I appreciated about the show though is that the style um, still felt very similar, and the music right. It was it was it, it, they kind of maintained that same style uh, across the whole season while mm-hmm. also playing in other genres occasionally um which was really cool to see and it was very much like you don't see many shows like that on tv right now uh with that very classic western uh style but also set in space so it doesn't really feel like a western <laughs> it feels new and fresh and yeah that it's kind of hard to do <laughs> like it, yeah like because you have to have a character that's very silent um he doesn't talk a whole lot um it's very mysterious and it's it's a it's a it it makes the show i think feel unique and fresh in a way that um that that other shows don't have mm-hmm. yeah it's one thing that when it comes to the music i was watching rebels again and, the, and to juxtapos- position both of the shows there was a very big Star Wars, John Williams influence in all the music when it came to Rebels. You're listening to all those cues. And now you're going to a, basically a Western set in space to still try and keep that music within the Star Wars universe, but create its own identity. And I really appreciated that because it was so different, but it was still, it worked. And it still felt like it was within the Star Wars universe because you could kind of pick up, I'm trying to remember a music cue that I, oh God, it's like a, a drum type thing that from, I think it's from, um, sorry for sitting here. It's, it's from either episode two or episode, mm-hmm. I think it's episode two yeah. when they were on Geonosis. Uh, that there's all, like music. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting how you have that type of music cue and can translate something like that going into something that's more of a Western type feel and still keep it within the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Uh, Ludwig Gorgensen did a incredible job and like, you know, on, on the, on the music, making it feel completely fresh and yet very much like Star Wars. Um, and it's, it's so good that like, even I've even found like, you know, family and friends who don't normally sing or hum Star Wars, humming it around the house. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. you're singing Star Wars. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> I am? I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, it's so catchy and it's so well done. And, and I think the the music is one of my favorite parts of this of the series. And the fact that they, uh, they released the soundtracks every single week alongside the episodes was just icing on the cake for me as again, you know, I've talked about this for what, 11 years, 12 years at this point, uh, how I'm, mm. a, I'm a, a, a big fan of, um, uh, of, of music, right? And we always add like release a soundtrack, release a soundtrack. And the fact that I did the full soundtrack every single week, the same second, the episodes come out just, ah, it made me so happy as mm. a, as a fan of, of star Wars soundtracks. Okay. So, um, question I'm going to throw out to you guys: yeah. When it comes to the release schedule, how did you guys feel about it being released on a weekly basis instead of some other services, throwing it all out there to where you can binge it in one sitting? 
I mean, I'll always prefer the the binge in one sitting strategy because I'll watch it over a day or two and really get into it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But at least they released weekly and they didn't take any like major breaks. Like I think the one kind of weird week we had is when Rise of Skywalker came out. So I can I can give them that one off, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I I actually loved it. I really did. Like there's something there is while there is something nice about having a whole series his whole season drop at once and just being able to binge it in a day or two. Mm -hmm. Um, I I find that when I do that, the plots tend to kind of blur a little bit between the episodes. And more importantly, when we're talking, you know, it's, it's really difficult. Like maybe you, you know, Steven, if you had time to binge it in a day and and I, you know, if I was busy, I I may not be able to watch it for, you know, maybe a week, right. If you spread it out all, you know, all eight episodes Mm -hmm. out over uh, a week or or, or so one a day. Um, you're now behind and the, and the discussion is a lot harder to have. And one of the things I think probably helped the Mandalorian the most was the release, the the release strategy and the fact that they did once a week. And I think not taking any breaks is great because it helps keep the momentum Mm -hmm. and it sucks when they have to take it like multiple weeks off or even a week off. Right. That's not ideal. Um, but the fact that they, it was relatively short season. They did it all at once. Uh, and every single week, while it was a pain, well, it was painful at times to have to wait a week, especially when, you know, we we got um, you know, the the first two episodes we got in the same exact week, and so then I was like, oh, we have to wait a full week for the next episode. And then when the mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker came out, we it came out two days early, so we only had a five day wait, and then we had a nine day wait for the next episode, and that one felt like a long time. Um, that being said, I think it allowed. Um, fans to discuss the the episodes, the chat each right. chapter in detail and speculate, uh, and it allowed hype to continue to build. Uh, it, and I compare this to like the Netflix strategy, right, where they they released The Witcher, another very popular show, uh, around the same time as The Mandalorian, shortly you know two thirds of the way through the season. And if you look at the online discussion about the show, The Witcher spiked pretty high and then it dropped off very quickly. While the Mandalorian uh, may not have has may not have had as quite as high of a spike uh, initially, or or, or or total, but it maintained a very high, uh, consistent level of hype throughout an eight week period, mm-hmm. um, much 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 longer than like the Witcher, which I think was like a week or two, um, and that allowed for people to have fun t- talking online and for you know, gifts. And I think the way that they also Lucasfilm helped manage the spoilers where episodes went up on Fridays. Um, the, uh, the, they get, you get some behind the scenes stuff on Sunday or Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at least some, some of the artwork. Uh, and that was kind of the tacit acknowledgement that, okay, spoilers are okay. Now you've had the weekend. Uh, right. I thought, I thought that was what made the Mandalorian as successful as it was. Cause it kept the conversation going. And I had people coming up to me, you know, halfway through this, the, the season saying like, Oh my gosh, I've, I, I'm not really a star Wars fan. I wasn't really aware of this show, but I've been hearing about it. Um, and now I'm really excited to watch it. Whether I was hearing you talk about it or I was hearing other people talk about it for the last few weeks. Now I really want to go try it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's probably a long winded answer, but I think, I think that is single handedly the reason why the Mandalorian has done so well as it allowed that hype to build to mm-hmm. a crescendo and, and stay there for, many weeks yeah and i think what do you think tom what well i i think what also helps this i'm not one to sit here and binge episodes okay and and they to me 
basically put the put this to me. This was right at my wheelhouse. You give it to me weekly, I'll watch it. I can't binge anything. But what I liked about it was it was really only eight episodes. And it was able to tell its story within those eight episodes, but still leave you with a cliffhanger at the end wanting more. And as we are still discussing this, it is still a thing to where it's still a discussion out there because of how I think when it comes to release schedule and the storytelling and the impact it created, they did this well. I think releasing it weekly the way they did was the best thing to do because, as you said, William, it kept the conversation going. If they just did the whole thing, it probably would have been over and done with within about a month and a half. May well probably less, but the child probably would have continued it further. But this way, because of the spacing, the way they did it, the conversation's still out there. There's still people talking about. It. They're looking forward to season two, you know. And and I think it worked out very well. I just like it because it was eight episodes, and they were able to tell their story, and get out. That's what I appreciated about this. Yeah. this it was season. short. And some of the episodes were, you know, only 30 minutes, a little over 30 minutes at times. It was shorter even than than we were expecting. Because typically when you go on a streaming service, that means oh, instead of, you know, 44 minutes or 43 minutes, it's we might right. get, you know, they can go up to an hour, 60 minutes, 65 minutes. Whoa, you know. And in this case, it was, no, we're going to we're gonna tell, take the time we need to tell the story we want to tell. And then we'll be out. And we're not going to yep. add a lot of filler. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah. So now we're going to come up to what are your favorite episodes? I'm going to put William on the spot for this one. Okay. Um, ooh, that's, there's so many good episodes. Um, uh, I only pick one. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just one. I, you know, I think, well, it's, this is interesting. So we, we, I created the, we created a tracker, um, to, to kind of aggregate our, our review scores, uh, and then we can kind of slice and dice based on director and writer and just average rating overall and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really cool to see. Um, and I think like we said the chapter three, the sin was our highest rated episode across the board uh, with like 10 out of 10. Um, but and that, that one probably is one of my favorites um, just because I love seeing the Mandalorian. Maybe it is my favorite. I love seeing the Mandalorian. Um, kind of have this realization that oh my gosh i've given the i've given the child away i've done the wrong thing i've i've sinned you know as the title of the episode it says and i'm gonna make a different choice uh and so i i i that's probably my favorite um i did love the last two episodes as well oh it's so hard not to pick those two because those are just pure perfection uh as well um but maybe yeah maybe i'll go with i'll go with the sin chapter chapter three um, okay steven why don't you but it's, go it's next telling that i think my two uh, favorite episodes are by deborah chow um and i think she's a standout director from this show i didn't really know much about her before the the season started and now she's going to be helming the kenobi series so i think that show is in very much in good hands because if you look at our ag- aggregate rating like she had a nine and a half out of ten um for for those episodes uh, so I don't don't have much to else to add except yes, episode three, the sin, by <laughs> far the best episode. Uh, William, you've enumerated it perfectly. Yes, by far the best episode of the entire series. Wow, really did a fantastic job. And it, the last two episodes are so close. Like, 
Like the the death of Honestly, Quill and like all that. They're stuff not I nearly as close for me. I enjoyed really? the last three, but the Sin was a perfect episode through and through for me. Okay, I I'm gonna make it unanimous. I mean, I I I, hmm. I am with William. I really like the last two episodes, but if you got to go by way of score and by way of which one was like the breakout episode, episode three have to. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. I think and seeing the Mandalorians come to the rescue and I think seeing that internal struggle was, in the Mandalorian was what, the best. Yeah. That was such the best to see the Mandalorians come to the rescue. That was just, yeah. uh, and, I know, hope, I hope we see more of them in season two. I hope I, a lot of them died, but they did say some yeah. of them may have escaped. And so I, I, yeah, yeah, I hope we see more. I would assume we'll see more. Well, but also realize we're going to be seeing more Mandalorians in the next coming weeks yes. in the Clone Wars. Yes, we will. We will. Um, yeah, I think overall, like, you know, the, much has been talked about how Star Wars lately has had some trouble with directors where, you know, the, the there's especially with the films, there's, a lot of turmoil where they come and go on different projects. I mean, heck the show even originally started life as a Boba Fett movie helmed by Josh Trank. And then they changed that to be it into a, a TV series and Josh Trank left the project. And eventually it kind of morphed into this idea from John Favreau and Dave Filoni and became a, a, a series. Um, and I think John Favreau and Dave Filoni just know how to, how to helm this. Uh, and they do such a fantastic job. Dave Filoni brings the knowledge of Star Wars, and he was George Lucas's protege. And John Favreau brings the experience with live action. And I think the two of them together have just knocked the series out of the park. And they brought in a lot of fantastic directors. I mean, we had, mm-hmm. you know, going down the list here, uh, in addition to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, we had Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, I thought she did a, a pretty good job. She did one episode, and I thought she did. I think she job. did a really good job for that episode. Yeah, I she really did. do. She did. Um, Deborah Chow, who we talked about, excellent, excellent, excellent director. Uh, all of her episodes have been like nine and tens in, on our ratings. Um, so, like, I'm so excited to see her with do Kenobi. Um, Rick Famuyawa uh, did two episodes. His were also really good. Um, I thought he did a really good job. And then Taika Waititi also, who did the season yeah. finale, fantastic. In addition to, to voicing IG Eleven, so like. All of these directors, I hope they all return in season two. Um, I think they're all fantastic. And I would love to see them do other Star Wars projects as well, given just Agreed. how well they've handled it. And each one did, they had different styles, but I, I really, I really thought they all did an incredible job. Yeah, totally agree Absolutely. with you. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts on season one or should we get into our, our season one rating? I think it's time for the season one ratings. I would totally oh. agree with that right now. Wow, this is going to be hard. I mean, you'd, <laughs> you'd, you'd want to take all the ratings we've done for the eight episodes, add them all up, then divide them. Then once you do that, make a percentage, then uh, forget it. I don't know. No, I'll no, go no, first. It's too complex. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I just, it's hard. I mean, you're talking, you're talking I feel all like eight that. episodes. I mean, I'll go first though. You know what? For taking a series like this and knocking it out of the park for your first streaming service, I have to give this an overall nine. Okay. Because this, for a brand new streaming service with a popular show right out of the gate, I don't remember Netflix when they started going streaming service having something this big come out of the gate. DC has their own streaming service. I know they have their stuff, but I don't think out of all those, it's had this much of an impact. 
than the Mandalorian has. And because of the storytelling, because it's, you know, John Favreau and, and, um, God, Dave Filoni at the helm of this doing star Wars, giving us something that we can really talk about and really enjoy. I have to give this a nine. Okay. So I'm taking my nine want brats and, um, wow. I have eight episodes to try and figure out how I'm going to do with nine want brats. You know what? I'm going to save my nine want brats and I'm going to try and take care of them in season two. I'm going to push them off to season two. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give them a break. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Who wants to go next? Uh, I can go. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so I'm going back and forth a little bit. Uh, I say I can go and then I immediately waffle. I think I'm going to give it an eight out of ten Womp Rats. And it's really like if I could split the season to two, one, two, three, five, six, or sorry, was it? It was eight episodes. Yeah. Why am I blanking? One, two, three, and five, uh, sorry, seven, eight. If I could take those five episodes, it'd easily be like a 9.5 for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, really good. And the middle episodes weren't bad by any means. They were more like a seven. So I'm kind of splitting the difference, giving it like, I guess I'll go 8.5. Um, so I'll do 8.5 Womp Rats out of 10. Um, just a solid season overall. A really promising start. And it leaves me waiting to see where they go in season two. Like they've absolutely earned the right to continue going and pushing and just making the best show that they can. Nice. What are you do with your Womp Rats? Oh, sorry. Well, you know, eight, eight of them escaped from Navarro, uh, obviously as part of the Mandalorians. They're Mandalorian Womp Rats. Uh, and the half, we he didn't make it 100%. You know, it's just many Womp Rats died escaping Navarro. <clears throat> oh, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, I think, I think I've said uh, most of my thoughts about season one at this point. Uh, overall, it was an incredible start. I cannot wait to see what they do with season two. It's going to be fantastic. They have such a great groundwork. I think, I hope they, they kind of uh, maybe improve some of the... Um, the guest stars supporting roles just a little bit. Uh, but again, it's, it's hard given the, the amount of time they have, but I, I'm so excited for the premise. I can't wait to see what they do next where they try to find the child's family. Um, whatever your definition of family is in this case. Uh, and, you know, it's just been great to see a star Wars show that has really captured the world by, by storm and, and, you know, where people of, you know, people who've never talked to me about a star Wars show are coming up to me and saying, Oh my gosh, I watched the show. I'm so, I'm loving it. I, this is so great. I'm actually walking down the halls at work and like whiteboards in the hallway has have like, you know, this is the way written on though. And like a little picture of the child, a little drawing of the child. It's, it's great. It's, it's taken over everything. And I, I really love to see it. So, uh, you know, while I think some of the episodes, Steven, you said it best. Um, actually I would totally agree with your rating on, on like the, how you'd split up the series. Um, yeah, I think overall I'm going to give it nine and a half, nine Womp Rats out of 10 and my nine Womp Rats, um, they're actually going to, um, you know, they were rescued by the Mandalorian as well. And so he's going to go mm. and find their, their family, their parents. And they can so, be pets for the child. Well, you know, this is, this is what he did before the child. So, well, oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say the child could always use them for force practice. Yeah. Now just to have a little fun. Um, before we sign off, um, it, it, we talked about Tom, you know, r- adding up the ratings and figuring out what that would be uh, mm-hmm. overall. If we like this rating, like we we we, we rate them, we want to give our our honest opinion of where we would rate it. Uh, looking back, right? It's not right. just a, a pure aggregate of 
the scores uh, right. that we gave it. That's because that's that's not really how we do things. However, I thought it might be kind of interesting to look at see what the aggregate would be. Um, oh, you did. So, uh, okay. so let's let's go right right down it. So, Tom, you gave uh, the Mandalorian a nine. You said it would be a nine out of yes. ten for you. Nine out of and ten. And your aggregate rating, uh, your average rating for across the season was an eight point eight four. So that's pretty close. You round right up. That's You're at close. nine. Pretty pretty spot on. Okay. Uh, Steven, yours, you gave it an 8.5 uh, overall. Your average rating, 8.56. So Wow. Pretty sp- on, on the nose. On, on the, the nose. nose. I'm pretty impressed. This is, this is, this is fascinating. Wow. And then uh, my average rating this season, I, I gave it a 9 uh, overall. My average rating was 8.9375. So we were... Very, very close. So, so what you're so what you're telling me out of that score, I'm the guy that came in third. Uh no, no, we we all got we all oh, got no, I'm kidding. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm teasing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm teasing. Because when it comes to cl- who got who got closest to their original number, uh, I think I came in third. True. Yeah, I think Steve yeah. and I were close actually we were almost yeah. equally closest to but yeah, well, we're Steven, all Steven nailed it with an eight point five, even though he was 8. an eight point five six. Yeah, yeah. You had an eight point nine something or other, and I had the eight point something 8. or other, 9. and it's 3. like, yeah, I think I came in doesn't matter. It's pretty close. It's we, pretty close. It was yeah. very close for all of us. It's it's yeah. really cool to see. And overall the average rating of an episode was eight point seven eight. So it perfectly splits the difference. I think it works. <laughs> kind of fascinating. Again, cool. not necessarily a, a you know, uh, indication one way or another but it's it's kind of cool to go look back and and see our our average ratings yep. so well uh that was that was the mandalorian season one i cannot wait to talk uh about this more i'm sure there's gonna be a lot to discuss uh later this year i think the rumor that i saw was that it should be back sometime between august and october um this year not november uh, so we may get more episodes earlier than we were expecting. But before then, in just two short weeks. Dun, dun, dun. Cannot wait, guys. Two and a half weeks. We get Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 7. It's finally I back. cannot wait. Oh, it's been years. We've been waiting years, but it's back. The Clone Wars have returned. We're finally going to find out what happens to Ahsoka, what happens in the battle of the siege of Mandalore. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to That's be what I'm looking forward to. So great. And they're kicking things off with the bad batch, uh, uh um, the bad batch arc. So this arc was released. Um, this arc was released, uh, as a unfinished story reel, uh, shortly after the series was canceled. So we have seen these four first four episodes in an unfinished state, but this will be the first time we've ever seen them completed, uh, fully, you know, with final voice acting and, and animation and all that kind of stuff. And it's, I can't wait. So we're going to be starting our next episode. We're going to take two weeks off and we'll be back with um, the Clone Wars Season 7, Episode 1, The Bad Batch. It's the title of the first episode. And in this episode, Captain Rex and the Bad Batch must, must infiltrate an enemy base on an axis. I'm like getting chills because wasn't it Oh, how many years ago we actually did review the story wheel of Bad Batch, and yep. now we're actually going to be reviewing the real Bad Batch. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so cool. It is. It's it's like it's like we're going back in time, but this time it's going to be finished. Yeah, yep, yeah, because we we went back and we did the Clone Wars Legacy reviews, and yeah, oh, it's so nice to be back. Guys. So, 
So do you think that they kept the nose art for Padme on that gunship? They did. It's been in in some of the the preview uh, uh, clips. So I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait. Two and a half weeks should be fun. You're right, Tom. I'm getting chills just talking about it. Like the Clone Wars is back. We've been talking about this forever. So it's only been what five, six years now. I forget. Way too long. Just way too long. Too long. Too long. Okay. So. Anyway, so uh, we're, yeah, we're going to take a two-week break. The next two weekends we'll be taking off. But we'll be back uh, shortly uh, after, um, around, what, the 23rd-ish, uh, with our review of The Bad Batch. So stay tuned. And may the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, IonCannonCast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at IonCannonCast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.